Well, welcome back, uh, Parkside Bible Study. It is a joy to come back with you in our study of the book of Philippians. And uh, this will be my final week before Pastor Steve uh, finishes out the book. Uh, But we're going to be covering Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And so if you have your Bible, uh, let me invite you to turn there while I read it aloud for us. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm being, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble in You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, as we mentioned last week, Paul is beginning the ending of his letter here to the book of Philippians. And you'll remember that this was a rhetorical technique where towards the end of his letter, really kind of beginning in chapter four, verses two, he's gonna just issue a lot of short, punchy commands and imperatives, as well as probably include any last-minute thoughts or greetings or also uh, thanksgivings for what has been done on his behalf. Uh, This section here that we have in verses 10 through 20 is notoriously difficult to outline uh, because Paul in this section intermingles both commendation uh, to the Philippians for giving him this apparent generous gift while also adding in some disclaimers of hey, I don't need the gift either because Christ is supplying everything for me. So today we'll handle the text a little bit more thematically. We'll pick out some themes and we'll use that instead of going verse by verse. So our three headings are this, that Paul thanks the Philippians for their gift. Number two, Paul gently reminds the Philippians that he doesn't need their gift. And number three, Paul pushes the Philippians to Christ who meets our greatest need. So here we go. Heading number one, Paul thanks the Philippians for their gift. A lot of people, a lot of commentators have wondered why it has taken Paul so long in the letter to thank the Philippians for the gift if indeed that was one of the major goals of this whole letter. People have said, well, you know, if this was such an important gift and Epaphroditus is delivering the gift, you should have mentioned that at the front end of the letter. But if you go back to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, you can pick up a possible allusion at least to the gift in verse 5 where Paul commends them because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And again, that partnership could have been partnership in the actual message, but also could have been a financial partnership as well. So even though Paul didn't maybe explicitly acknowledge the gift up front, here in this section, he's going to go to great lengths to thank the Philippian church for their generosity. And in fact, four different times, he's going to mention it or allude to it in this section. He'll mention it in verse 10, verse 14, verse 15, and verse 18. He'll say things like this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
Uh, verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Uh, at the end of verse 15, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And then perhaps the most effusive praise in verse 18, where he says that he has received full payment from them and that he is well supplied. Commentator Frank Thielman writes this about Paul's uh, thankfulness to them. He says about the Philippians that their generosity was a concrete demonstration that God was completing the good work that he had started in them when they had first believed the gospel. And so in many ways, you can see why Paul is so thankful for the gift and the partnership is because Paul really sees this as indicative of their willingness to be partners with him. And in, in many ways that that is God completing the good work of redemption that he began there in the lives of the Philippians. In verse 18, I want to hone in on that one. Paul offers what I really think is probably his most effusive praise for the Philippians' gift. And Paul here in this section is going to transition to more cultic or uh, liturgical religious language uh, to describe the Philippians' gift. Moisa Silva writes this. He says, The use of such Old Testament cultic terminology to describe Christian worship became very common in the early church. In part, no doubt, because the Old Testament itself recognizes that outward rituals are manifestations of inward realities. And so what you see Paul doing here in verse 18, where he talks about the Philippians' gift as being both a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, is he's probably drawing on a lot of that Old Testament temple language to help remind and also to commend them that the inward reality of their partnership, their generosity, is now actually being lived out in their day-to-day behavior. Those three words of being fragrant and acceptable and pleasing all would have probably brought up Old Testament pictures or even allusions uh, to the sacrificial system. You think about a passage like Isaiah 56, 7, where the prophet Isaiah talks about uh, the children of Israel bringing their burnt offerings and their sacrifices and that they are pleasing and acceptable in God's sight. The ESV study Bible includes this note on verse 18, which I found helpful. It says this, that while the literal offerings of the Old Testament system have now been done away with in Christ, the principle behind them of costly devotion to God remains. And I think that's one of the, one of the most encouraging things that Paul recognized from the Philippians' gifts, right? He's saying, listen, you don't need to still do the Old Testament sacrifices, but I really want to commend you for your costly expression of devotion through this financial support. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for sending this. Now, all of that, right? Paul's thankfulness for their gift also brings us to our second heading where Paul gently reminds the Philippians that he doesn't need their gift. And you might say, well, time out. That kind of, that kind of seems like a little bit of a backhand compliment. He thanks them, but then later on he says that he actually didn't need the gift. What, what, what is going on here? Why would Paul say that? Well, in two sections, in verses 11 through 13, Paul says he didn't ultimately need the financial gift because Christ was sustaining him. He had found the secret to his contentment that Christ was sufficient. And then also in verse 17, and perhaps the most explicit comment, in verse 17, Paul says, I didn't seek the gift, right? This is, this is not something that I wrote to you and I said, hey, I need a check for $10,000. Can you please send it as soon as possible? 
Uh, some commentators have even gone so far to say Paul here is actually, uh, he's actually being ungrateful, and they've actually attributed negative connotations to that. But I actually think that there are a couple of possible reasons why Paul offers these disclaimers. Here's the first one. First reason why Paul is probably trying to communicate that he did not need their gift is that he didn't want to have any hint of greed or avarice in that he was doing the Lord's work for monetary gain. And in fact, throughout Paul's letters, uh, you consistently see this theme come up. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, really the city that he had come to after Philippi, uh, Paul tells the Thessalonians, he says, You remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, right? Paul wanted to make very clear to the Thessalonians, hey, I'm not coming in here and just expecting a gravy train, just expecting for you to put me up and to house me, to feed me, to clothe me. I actually came to work among you so that I wouldn't be a burden to you. Uh, he says the same thing to the church uh, at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8, Paul says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you, right? Paul wants to be very clear that when he's going to churches, he is not expecting for them to financially put him up, even acknowledging that other churches' support enables him to be able to do that in the cities that he's in. And so at the end of that passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9, Paul says, quote, I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way, right? Paul was very conscious of not wanting to be a financial burden to any of the places that he went to visit. Now, a caveat here is that Paul, though, will also similarly make very clear that as a worker of the gospel, he is entitled to earn his wage as a worker of the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 through 14, he'll make that clear. I'll just read verse 14 for you. Paul says this, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So it's kind of like a both and. Paul is saying, listen, I'm not a greedy person. I did not want to be a burden to you. But I also want to let you know that it is my apostolic right as a minister of the gospel to receive a living wage. And so I think in some ways, this, this disclaimer of I didn't seek the gift is Paul's way of trying to stave off any hint that he's being greedy or that he's trying to do this for money. A second reason why I think maybe Paul adds in this disclaimer is that Paul does not want the Philippians to think that his commendation for the gift is just another request for more money cloaked in gratitude. I kind of call this the Heisman, right? Paul's not with one hand saying, no, I don't really want your gift, but hey, I really, really liked it, and could you send more? That's, that's not what Paul is saying here, and he doesn't want it to be misunderstood that his thankfulness and his gratitude for the Philippians' gift is actually code for him saying, please send more, please send more. So he offers this disclaimer of saying, hey, I didn't seek the gift. I'm content. Christ is supplying all my needs. Number three, the third reason why I think Paul adds this disclaimer is Paul wants the Philippians to know that Jesus Christ has been sustaining him in a way that has brought about Paul's contentment, meaning that this, that this sense of being in need has actually, has actually served for Paul's growth in Christ, that it's actually helped him learn the secret of contentment that he can be strengthened through Christ's provision for him. This idea of contentment uh, that Paul uses in verse 11 was a, a word used by Stoic philosophers of Paul's day. 
And it meant that if a person was content, that he was self-sufficient. He was independent from external pressures, right? So if I'm content, that means I don't need anything around me and nothing around me is impacting me. I'm simply strong. I'm self-sufficient. I can do this. I'm content. And in Stoic philosophy, uh, it was actually the most valuable attribute that a wise person could have. And so you can see here what Paul is doing here with this word contentment in verse 11 is that he's turning this word upside down and he is locating the source of contentment, not in and of himself, but in who? In Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Paul. No, no, no. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul takes the prevailing philosophy of the day of being self-sufficient, right? And he's saying, listen, I can't be self-sufficient. The only way that I can be content is if I find that contentment through the work of Christ. Alec Mattia closes and summarizes it well. He says, contentment thus is the mark of a mature believer, and it is an objective to be cultivated by all believers, including Paul, who want to grow in Christ. That brings us to our third heading. Our third heading is this, is that Paul pushes the Philippians to Christ who meets our greatest need. And you can see this again in verse 13, and you can see it in the final section of verses 19 through 20. In verse 19, Paul says that God will, quote, supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, a question has arisen. Is verse 19 to be read as a statement of fact? Is it an indicative that this is something that God is going to do for you? Or is it a prayer or is it wishful thinking on the part of Paul? Meaning, hey, I really hope that God supplies all of your needs. And textually, commentators tend to lean towards the former rather than the latter, meaning that they tend to read the prayer indicatively, meaning that Paul here is stating a fact, right? That Paul is indicating by fact that they serve a God, like the God that he serves, who will supply every need that they have in Christ. Lest the Philippians believe that God's care is reserved only for Paul, right? Paul reminds them here in this final section that God will care for them too. Remember, the Philippians, just like Paul, are also in a tough spot. They're being persecuted. There's major pushback on their allegiance to Christ and not just to Caesar. Uh, They're undergoing a lot of persecution and hardship themselves. And so imagine how meaningful this would have been as Paul is writing to learn that Paul in his imprisonment has learned the ability to be content in Christ and that that same God who is caring for him through Christ is also meeting and supplying every need that the Philippians have as well. Understanding the context of that word need in verses 11 through 13 are critical then to understand this verse, right? Paul's not saying that God's going to supply every material need that they might have that he's going to supply all their needs that they have in Christ. And primarily, I think what's being talked about here is their spiritual needs, their, their, their needs to be able to weather through this difficulty and this hardship and this persecution in a way that is honoring Christ. And again, you'll remember that this section in particular is bookended with references to need and to worry and to anxiety, right? Last week in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, we talked about anxiety and worry and need. And and here as well, you can see the bookends. And Paul is essentially, I think, saying, listen, in the midst of things that you might get worried about, in the midst of things that you might get anxious about, listen, you don't have to be anxious. You can go to the Lord in prayer 
And also you can be comforted by the reality that the same God who sustained me and supplied my needs is also going to be the same God who supplies every need for you according to Christ. Frank Thielman closes it off and summarizes, well, he says, Paul here is promising that God will supply the Philippians with the greatest need of all, namely the ability to face all circumstances through the one who gives him strength. In this section, Paul, as he so often does, concludes by pointing us to Christ who will supply all of our needs according to the good and the perfect will of God. He both encourages the Philippians for their generous gift, but he also ultimately reminds them that he has no need to worry about his circumstances and situation because God is strengthening him and sustaining him. And friends, I think it's a wonderful reminder for us too that we can both express gratitude and thankfulness when the Lord provides for our needs, but we can also rest and trust in God's timing, in his care, in his comfort for us in difficult times as well.